Before we get started, a note. Delaware by Dark discusses themes of suicide, murder, mayhem, and things skulking in the shadows. Listener discretion is advised. If you're having suicidal thoughts or thoughts about hurting others, please reach out for help. Contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or your local mental health provider. Help is always available to you. And now, dim the lights, open your mind, and watch the sunset. The sun has sunk below the horizon, and for the moment, Delaware grows quiet. It's the off-season now, and the peculiar weirdness that accompanies our state past Labor Day is starting to settle in beneath the tan lines and sundresses, beneath those summertime smiles, beneath our rational minds even. Even now, outside the studio, the hum of passing vehicles seems so much less prevalent than during the summer season. Thousands of cars, tens of thousands of visitors, each flocking to the beach for sun, happiness, and a little slice of Americana in these difficult times. They converge on our state like pilgrims worshipping at the altar of Sol, Tonatu, or some other old forgotten deity. They come on back roads, major highways, and in a few cases, bridges. Did you know bridges are one of the first major construction projects made by humanity? Some of the earliest, best-preserved structures from antiquity serve the simple purpose of connecting tracts of land together. Ancient Mesopotamians constructed bridges from wooden logs, stone, and dirt. Roman engineers, eager to flex their empire's vast knowledge and resources, made some of the longest-lasting bridges in the world. The oldest standing bridge on the planet is the Archidego Bridge in Argolis, Greece, built a thousand years before Christ himself was born. This bridge has stood the test of time and is even used by locals today. And yet, for all its glory, older bridges than Archidego still existed. After all, our ancestors got around. Stepping stones, fallen timber, sheets of ice. Humanity isn't picky. And isn't it in our nature to look across some great divide and to wonder what's on the other side? To wonder if it's better than here? How long did it take those early ancestors to decide to just help the process along a little? To maybe push a tree down, or to bring over stones to the edge of the water? To look across that expanse to the shrouded mystery on the other side, and think to themselves in their primitive mind, I want to be connected. My name is Mark Belial, and this is Delaware by Dark. Let me tell you a quick story about the first bridge that ever terrified me. I was 18 years old, road-weary, and addled with an impatient cat who seemed just as ready as I was to start his life over. I'd left Oklahoma the day before, pointing my old Chevy Prism East to depart the only life I'd ever known. The first time I ever laid eyes on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, I'd been driving since Knoxville, Tennessee. I'd already braved the horrors of rush hour DC, so I figured to myself there couldn't be anything left of this trip that could be as unnerving as that. And that's when I hit the toll plaza. I paid my $4 to get onto the bridge, joined the chaotic clump of cars as they merged into single lanes, and began the steep ascent. Seconds passed, 
and I was suddenly almost 200 feet above the bay, on an arcing bridge shrouded in mist. My tiny sedan had never felt as small as it did while I was battered by the wind and the rush of air displaced from passing semis. When I reached the zenith, I glanced at my knuckles, bone white, gripping and holding on like a vice. Resisting the temptation to look at the gray sky and the calm water below was the hardest and easiest thing I've ever done. The crossing couldn't have taken more than a few minutes, but it could have been hours. Fear has a funny way of slowing down time, really forcing you to just sit in a moment and live with it. A few moments later, I was back on the ground, and I didn't realize how scared I'd been until the steering wheel creaked as I loosened my grip on it. A couple hours later, the sun had set, and I was meeting my family at a Burger King parking lot. My mother's wife at the time hugged me and asked, How'd you like the bridge? She smiled, as if it were a joke all the locals got to enjoy at the expense of travelers. The memory came to me as I was reading about the bridges we're discussing tonight, so I did some reading about it. You might find this hard to believe, but it's actually quite difficult to pin down exactly how dangerous that bridge is. In September 2008, a semi was involved in a head-on collision and was knocked off the bridge, plunging over 100 feet to the water below and killing the driver. Another accident involved a retired sports rider who was rear-ended by a truck, sending him over the edge of the bridge and almost 53 feet down. He also died. But the scariest stories belong to the jumpers. Since the bridge was completed in 1952, People have been regularly abandoning their cars in the middle of the road and throwing themselves over. In fact, the bridge had only been open for four months before a Baltimore engineer committed suicide by leaping off the towering span. He was not the first, but he certainly wasn't the last. Since then, at least 74 more people have followed his example. What went through these people's minds as they fell? Did they finally feel free? weightless? Were they calm? Or were they as scared as I was at the top of that bridge in the fall of 2005? 75 people. 75 souls. Not a single one of them wanted to stay behind. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge is often called one of the world's scariest bridges in America, so I wasn't alone in my feelings about it. In fact, there's a company that makes good money driving people over the bridge so they don't have to deal with that fear. But tonight we're talking about other bridges. Bridges that are scary for different reasons. Travel down a country road long enough and you'll eventually run into an old bridge. What if these bridges didn't just connect tracts of land? What if some of them connected our world to a realm of spirits? Spectres with unfinished business. Ghosts with long-held grudges. It seems every state has a haunted bridge or two, and Delaware is no exception. The oldest of these is Cooch's Bridge in Newark, Delaware. During the Revolution, colonial forces had already lost New York City to the British. General Washington was using Philadelphia as the headquarters for the Continental Army. British war planners made the decision to capture Philadelphia, cut the 13 colonies in half, and then crush the rebellion with a combined invasion from the Canadian provinces and their mid-Atlantic staging area. 
In August of 1777, Lieutenant General George Howe landed his troops in Maryland and began the march to Philadelphia. General Washington, needing time to escape, gathered 1,000 Delaware and Pennsylvania militia and 700 regulars from the Continental Army, and they deployed them around the area surrounding Cooch's Bridge. The upcoming battle is only notable for two reasons. The first is that this would be the only significant action Delaware would see during the Revolutionary War. For all of the pride we take in Delaware being the first state, it just wasn't that strategically important. The second reason the battle was notable was that it was the first time our national flag was flown against the British. As the two antagonists scouted each other from the hilltops, Howe gazing across the train to Washington who in turn looked right back at him. It wasn't just any flag being displayed on the colonial side, it was the Stars and Stripes. On September 2nd, 1777, Hessian General Wilhelm von Knipphausen braved the windy rain and terrible roads to meet with Charles Cornwallis at a local tavern. When Knipphausen didn't show up on time, Howe dispatched a small company of Hessian dragoons led by Johann Ewald to scout ahead and get a sense of where the rebel forces were. The next day, September 3, 1777, fighting broke out as the Hessian dragoons marched directly into an ambush. They were shot to pieces as musket fire erupted from either side of the bridge they were attempting to cross. The Hessians withdrew and alerted the main British force. Seven hours of bloody fighting took place around Cooch's Bridge that day. The American militia took fire from British regulars, Hessian mercenaries, and deadly artillery. And they gave as much as they got. The colonials ran out of ammunition and then began using swords and bayonets until they were forced to retreat back to Washington's lines. Washington had used the time his men had bought with their blood to fortify the city of Wilmington in preparation to halt Howe's approach to Philadelphia. He even gave a rousing speech to the men there, only to have Howe march right past him in the dead of night through Newark and Hokessen. The war left Delaware, never to return, at least for the living. Forty to fifty people had died for that bridge. Blood had been spilled for that bridge. And now, it seems, the dead don't forget. On foggy, moonless nights, people say you can still hear the sound of the Hessian horses galloping towards the rebel lines. If you look out into the clearings surrounding the bridge, you can still see those spectral soldiers charging at one another, locked in eternal combat. And if you're ever on the bridge during a new moon, you can sometimes see the apparition of a decapitated British soldier the poor victim of errant artillery that is now doomed to wander headless for eternity. Forty to fifty killed. Another bloody bridge forever stained. Just like another bridge further south, near the town of Smyrna. The thing about hauntings is that no one knows what causes them. How is it 75 people can plunge off of one of the scariest bridges in America, and not a single one sticks around? And how is it that one unloved and abandoned infant can leave such a psychic stain on our world that it continues to linger when it should have moved on long ago? The town of Smyrna, Delaware has several local paranormal hotspots. Ask around, and most locals will laugh it off, saying they're just stories to scare kids. 
but others. Others will direct you to the Smyrna Museum, where visitors say they felt watched by an unseen presence, that they've seen furniture move on its own accord, and heard unexplainable voices from the rooms they've just left. Some people will swear they've seen shadowy silhouettes in the windows around Blevins' house, and heard the howl of hellhounds in the darkness during the witching hour. And some people will tell you to take your car on a moonless night to Black Diamond Road, where you can see mysterious orbs of light floating in the darkness. Rumor has it Black Diamond Road was built on sacred Native American grounds, and now the spirits dredged up by heavy machinery can't rest. They'll say if you take a photo of the trees on either side of the road, you might capture a shadow you can't explain. But all of these pale in comparison with Smyrna's very own Crybaby Bridge. Crybaby Bridges are another definitively American phenomenon. Plug the term Crybaby Bridge into Google and the algorithm is bound to spit out at least one or two legends within driving distance of your home. Each one shares a similar tale. A young, single woman, not yet ready to be a mother. A baby doomed to an eternity of loneliness, and the odd traveler who hears the ghostly wails of the departed little one. Turns out there's a folklorist in Maryland by the name of Jesse Glass, who pushes back on the whole idea of crybaby bridges. Mr. Glass thinks the whole idea is bunk, that these tales are knowingly faked and passed around the internet like Nigerian prince scams and crackpot political theories. Fake lore, he calls them. He points to identical stories about crybaby bridges in both Ohio and Maryland. The stories crept up around the same time in 1999, just as Y2K was threatening to wash us all away. He did some digging, you see, and found none of the stories could be confirmed in local accounts. It was just humans scaring each other. A big ol' heaping bowl of creepypasta, version 1.0. But still... I can't quite shake the feeling that maybe Mr. Glass is wrong, especially when you consider the local stories about Smyrna's version of Crybaby Bridge. The bridge's exact location is difficult to pin down, but most agree it flirts with the Delaware-Maryland border 10 miles to the west of Smyrna proper. Head down the right direction on Walnut Tree Road long enough, and you'll eventually find it. Crybaby Bridge is completely covered with graffiti, and its two lanes have been scarred with blackened tire tracks. Tracks that might have been left behind by fleeing would-be investigators who got a little bit more than they bargained for. It's an eerie sight, especially in the darkness. Especially when you're by yourself. It's a cruel story that goes like this. A teenage girl became enamored with a young man. Long walks, quiet nights, Eventually, the young man got her in the family way. After she began to show, the young man split, and the girl was forced to carry this unwanted child by her lonesome. It makes you wonder if a baby can sense resentment in utero, if all those bad emotions can poison a person before they even have a chance to draw breath. Does instinctively knowing you're unwanted change a person? Does it twist you somehow in ways that can't be repaired? The child grew for nine months, fed on a steady diet of regret, disappointment, maybe even outright hate before it ever got a taste of its mother's milk. Is it any wonder when she gave birth to the child it was so hideous, so pitifully deformed, 
that she immediately made up her mind what should be done. After all, even if the baby had been born happy and healthy and peaceful, would she have looked upon it as anything but a monster? So she carried the child to the bridge on the border. Maybe she studied the infant for a moment, taking in its tiny, twisted body, its strangely muscular legs. Maybe she had second thoughts, or maybe she didn't. Either way, the story doesn't change. The young mother held it up by its tiny, asymmetrical body and dropped it into the darkness below. The girl moved on, but the child never did. We could and should hope the child died without suffering, but this is a cruel story, and the ghost that haunts this bridge is very, very angry. So if you go out west of Smyrna, be warned. Explorers and travelers alike have had strange experiences in the area. People hear furious baby screams in the darkness, loud enough to make you wince and sad enough to break your heart. Mysterious booming sounds and snapping twigs can be heard in the distance. Some nights, the child's spirit grows so angry and thrashes so hard, it fells whole trees with the power of its tantrum. Young women should be especially cautious. Reports of mysterious car trouble on the bridge abound. Sedans, minivans, diesel trucks, all dying as they cross the bridge. It's almost as if the baby can feel the soothing feminine energy above its grave, and it calms long enough to reach out for the kindness of a mother that it never knew in life, and yearns eternally for in death. The last story I have for you tonight moves us just a little bit further down the state. We're leaving Newcastle and Kent counties, to the place where I make my home, little old slower lower Sussex County, a place where tractors still cause traffic backups, chickens outnumber people, and corn and soybeans line the fields that haven't been sold to housing developers. The lower shore is known for its tourist hotspots and beaches. But head out west on US-9 for 40 minutes or so, and you'll come to the largest town in Sussex County, Seaford. On the outskirts of Seaford, in an unincorporated town called Woodland, there's a bridge that has been claimed to be one of the most haunted spots in Delaware. The bridge in question is situated on a curve on Woodland Church Road, about a mile from the Woodland Ferry. As you approach the bridge from the north, it quickly becomes clear how unnerving the whole place feels. Fallen trees line the banks of the little stretch of the Nanakoke River, and the whole area is quiet. Graffiti covers the guardrails of the bridge and blacktop, probably left by bored teens with too much free time, and a wish to communicate with the ghost that supposedly haunts this little section of Delaware. The story goes that a young woman named Maggie Bloxham was traveling by horse and carriage in the late 1800s. Perhaps she was heading home to be reunited with her husband. She might have even been out just for a pleasurable ride. It wouldn't be the first time a young pregnant woman ever sought out the beauty and tranquility of nature. The reason might have been lost to time, but the story hasn't. As Maggie crossed the bridge, something spooked her horses. The beasts reared back, panicked and bolted. Now some folks telling the story say the horses galloped straight into the river leaving Maggie terrified and trapped inside. Water rushed into the carriage, 
making the door impossible to open as the young mother fought to stay above the waterline as long as she could, until the carriage and the horses sank to the bottom, drowning Maggie Bloxham and the unborn child she carried with her. It's awful, the way that story ends. And considering the nature of the spooky sightings documented on Maggie's bridge, probably false. Other people will tell you a story that rings a bit more true. Maggie had been perched in the shotgun seat of the carriage as the horses broke and ran. The sudden lurch of speed coupled with the jolt of the carriage leaving the road pitched her forward and beneath the heavy wooden wheels. Maggie Bloxham lost more than her life that day. The story says she lost her head as well, decapitated by the carriage in a gruesome accident. It makes me wonder what could be worse to be trapped in a sinking carriage as the cold water of the dirty Nanakoke River pressed against your lungs, or to have your life cut like wheat from the chaff, ended in a shockingly violent moment before you even knew what had happened. We don't get to choose what happens to us when our time comes, and sometimes we don't get to choose what happens to our spirit after we've sloughed off this mortal form. According to locals and those who've been to Woodland at night, that decision was taken from poor Maggie. There was no moving on for her. If a traveler wanted to make contact with Maggie Bluxom, they'd have the best chance to do so by the light of a blue moon. You'd stow your car in a dirt turnoff and make the short walk to Maggie's bridge, ignoring the hairs that raised on your neck as you looked out into the woods that the people have taken to calling the ghost pits. You'd ignore the occult sigils and blood-red spray paint on the side of the road the graffiti on the guardrails that serves as an epitaph to poor old Maggie Bloxham. You'd be able to see flashing lights from the pits slowly approaching in the darkness, blinking on and off, on and off. Each time they disappeared, they'd draw a little closer. If you weren't sure that those orbs of light weren't just fireflies, you could take a deep breath in and call out to Maggie three times. If you listened closely, Maybe you could hear hooves trotting towards the bridge, stuck in the eternal loop of misery in the moments before the crash. Maybe you could hear the sound wailing from the pits just beyond where the light failed. If you still weren't sure, you could call out to her again. And if your eyesight was good and the lighting was right, you could see a thin shadow with a pronounced belly moving through the trees. That could be anyone, right? probably just some kids in the darkness playing games on gullible podcast hosts. So you could close your eyes and whisper her name one last time, Maggie. And when you opened them, you'd hear the sound of an old dress dragging across the rough surface of the bridge behind you. As you turned, there in the moonlight, a headless woman with a blood-stained dress reaching out with skeletal hands for the head and the life that she'd lost so long ago. But those are just stories, right? Just old tales from a more superstitious time. None of it was true, none of it real. Just shadows on a wall and a scary story to tell around a campfire. But what if I told you this was different? Because the locals there believe. Why else would there be a sigil of Lilith painted on the bridge, meant to encourage and sustain a feminine spirit that cannot rest? What if I told you, just to the west of this bridge, in a desecrated cemetery left abandoned and forgotten, there lies the remains of many who share the Bloxham name? And what if I told you, still standing there today, 
over 200 years later, there's a gravestone that's been polished nearly smooth with the passing of time. The name? I don't think I have to tell you the name on that grave. You already know it. Bridges are built to connect things. It's one of humanity's most basic instincts to reach out and form connections with the world, to look out to that distant place and decide we're going to bridge the gulf between where we are and where we want to be. That's no small thing. Is it any wonder why so many of our bridges attract supernatural phenomena, that so many spirits would gather around these symbolic spots to interact with the living world? If these bridges could bring us together in life, why couldn't they bring us together in death as well? Why else does Maggie Bloxham's story persist today? Why do those revolutionary soldiers keep slaughtering each other after all these years? Why does a child still yearn for a mother somewhere west of Smyrna? Is it because bridges are places of power for a species that was never designed to be alone? Most of us don't give any real thought to the power of connection in society today. I'm not talking about mean-spirited influencers, Instagram follows, or snarky tweets. I'm talking about the kind of connection shared with a stranger as you cross paths on an old bridge. I'm talking about the connection you make with someone perched on a 200-high-foot bridge as you beg for them to come back from the ledge, to come back to you, to come back to life. I'm talking about the kind of connection that involves putting a hand out across the thin barrier between life and death to touch something reaching out for you as well. Thank you for joining us tonight on the first episode of Delaware by Dark. I hope you enjoyed the little walk down the darker paths of Delaware history. It would mean the world to us if you rated and reviewed us on your podcaster of choice. If you don't feel like rating and reviewing, you can always share the episode with a friend, loved one, or the ghost who's living under your crawl space right now, because we're all looking for bridges to connect us these days, right? If you've ever had a creepy encounter at any of these locations, or just in general, please write into the show at randomdrawpodcast at gmail.com. We're planning on making this a month-long journey, and I would love to hear your spookiest stories. Delaware by Dark is a Random Draw production and was written and hosted by Mark Belisle. Hey, that's me. And produced and edited by super skeptic Dave Hubbard. We'll convince him one day. Special thanks to Andrew Jackson, who recommended the story of Maggie's Bridge. Sean Marafini, who helped me find some spooky sites to explore and Jamie Rafi, who followed me to Woodland to figure out exactly what's going on out there. Next time, join us as we search for beasts and monsters that prowl Delaware in the dark. In the meantime, stay safe, open your mind, and keep watching the shadows.